Hey, before we jump in, Hash Rate Up is not just a podcast. I want to be your partner in the ever-evolving world of the Bitcoin mining industry. Through extensive connections and by constantly updating research, I can help you find hosting solutions that match your needs and budget, while also providing competitive pricing on the latest ASIC miners. So if you are ready to take your Bitcoin mining operation to the next level, let's work together to find quality hosting and ASICs at prices that won't break the bank. The best part about this? My input comes free of charge. Whether you're a seasoned miner or just dipping your toes into the world of Bitcoin mining, I'm here to help you make the first or next steps. There are great peace of mind hosting opportunities. Whether you're an individual with a couple of ASICs or an institution with 500 to 2000 units, or you want to go even larger than that, let me help you find competitive offers from well-positioned participants in the mining industry around the world. You can find my contact information below in the show notes. Let's get your hash rate up. With that being said, let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is another episode of Hash Rate Up. Thank you for listening and for tuning in one more time. Um, missed an episode last week because I did not, um, I wasn't tidy enough and didn't have my pipeline straight and also got sick. And so, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't make it that week. But I got a got great content for you, for you guys this week. Got a great guest again with me. Um, today I'm speaking to Yelma Tenvolde. Hello, sir. Hey, um, good to meet you, man. I um, Currently, we are at blo which block height, Yelma? Can you quickly read that out for me? We are at 818735. All right, cheers. Thank you very much. Um, we are currently at 472 exahashes. Network keeps trucking on. And there was a brief period there where we were above 80, above 90, even with our hash price. Um, and then the nodes around the world decided to rein in all the ASICs and said, listen, guys, it's, it's getting the party's getting too crazy. Let's let's up the difficulty here a little bit. And so now we're back down at $75, $69 per petahash per day, which is still above the 60 where we were mingling for a long, long time. Um, Yelma is CEO at Green Tech Technologies AG. Uh, and today we'll speak about their place in the technology, uh, their place in the industry, excuse me, their place um, in mining and how they approach mining and, and the solutions it can bring, and also how they might see the future and how they approach the halving and all that good stuff. Yama, first off, does this hash price, do you look at that often? Is that relevant for you guys in your business? Um, we look at it relatively often. We, we calculate everything back to megawatts because it's much easier for us because we bid in uh, on the ancillary surface markets and we use the megawatt price in all our calculation models to determine the cost price of heat. So we, we, we look at the values, but we interpret them slightly different okay. in our models. Interesting. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, yeah, before we do, though, can you give people a bit of background about yourself, um, who you are, how you got into Bitcoin, what your story is, and why we are here today? Yeah, no, that, that's fine. Um when I got into Bitcoin, that's already quite some time ago. I think everyone has the story of how they heard about it and never bought it. <laughs> um, I think for me, everything started around like 2015, 2016, when I really got into Bitcoin and into blockchain in general. I think my, my I started as a Bitcoin believer, then I quickly went to the, the blockchain side, to the, all the tokens that uh, derived out of it. Um, you know, had some fun there, lost some money there, I think, as, as everyone. <laughs> um, 
And I even started a company with a couple of friends that was focused on developing a blockchain loyalty program. Um, that didn't work out. It died in the beer market uh, of 2018, I think, 2019, somewhere in that timeline. Um, and that kind of put me uh, yeah, into a space where I had to decide what to do next. So I was considering my options. I did some sales of four time. And I quickly discovered that, that, that just doing a sales job wasn't really my thing. And my father who was also a partner in the business. He used to be an energy manager for a lot of large greenhouses in the Netherlands. And back in 2018, when we started this business, um, the, the whole landscape was, was, was vastly different than it is right now. Back then, we could buy gas for $0.08 cent per cubic meter. Electricity was around 30 35 euros per megawatt. So that meant that the CHP or the genset, as Americans also know it, um, that is used to produce heat for the greenhouse was selling its energy at a loss. So this uh, idea has been nagging uh, me for quite some years, I think from 2015. And we need to do something with that energy. We need to, to, to use it for mining because there's no place in the world where you can get electricity so cheap at, a, at scale. Um, this was easier said than done. So we started off modeling. We started off looking into all the technical uh, aspects of, of, of how that should work. But there was always one thing, one red uh, line in everything we did. And that was that we wanted to reuse the heat. We didn't just want to use the electricity from the CHP. We wanted to recover all the heat produced by the miners give it back to the greenhouse, make the greenhouse less reliant on fossil fuels, give it an alternative market to sell its electricity to, and for there, from there, uh, optimize the entire energy operation, but also the financial operation of the greenhouse. Um, and that started in 2018 with three little tanks of DCX, <laughs> and uh, far, far uh, long time ago, we had to do a lot of the engineering ourselves. We had to put everything back together. And at some time we said, uh, even though that D6 can be a, a good application for some usages, back then it just didn't work out for heat recovery. So we said, uh, we, we, can bet, we can better do this ourselves, actually. So we started off developing the tanks, the heat recovery system, the software. And from there, it grew from a couple tanks to the first full container to multiple containers uh, and etc. Okay, yeah, I'll stop there before before the hour is over that we're targeting. <laughs> very very interesting um, lead into into the industry. Yeah, everybody has has that story, right? I mean, I've met a few people now through through doing this. Uh, Yelma, who told me, "Nah, I went into Bitcoin and that's why I stayed and never did anything else." I'm like, okay, good for you, man. Good, good, good for you. Um, just before we hop into the to the questions, tell me the the software part. What goes into that? Why do you what do you have to consider when you write your own software for for heat reuse of of ASIC mining machines? Um, when we started off with our own firmware, there wasn't really a proper miner management uh, tool back then. I think I used Minerstep as one of the first tools to to manage the miners, but we didn't really have the 
capability to, to scale loads down to, ma to mass change profiles or finish or brains to uh, go to sleep mode, go back to active for, for load balancing signals. So there are a lot of the firm softwares out there, they were purely made to reboot the miner when the hash rate would go down to allow you to change the configuration without logging in. And that just like, okay, it's nice to have, but it doesn't make us money. The things that actually made us money was the ability to fully control the miner on the hash rate, on the power it was consuming, and then create logic to actually control that power to make it match with an efficient required output. So let's say there is heat demand of two megawatt. Uh, it might not be economically viable to mine at 2.4 megawatt because we're losing so much money on the last 400 kilowatt that we're destroying our profits in the two. All right. And are you still using that software today or have you switched to, to something um, like, I don't know, my, um, I mean, you get the, the Luxa firmware, um, you get, what's, I forget what the, what the name is. Um, Pickaxe. No, Pickaxe is what they use. Uh, Pickaxe is from uh, Foreman. Uh, my lord. Yeah, Foreman. <laughs> are, you, are you using something like that now or are you still using your own software? No, we're still using our own software. Um, and because it, it's like every market we operate in has their own like niche requirements mm. that the mass operators don't really provide yet. Okay. Um, and for us, because we already have it, it's much easier to expand on what we have than to now switch to a, to, to a new software. Yeah. Um, and in our opinion, our software is on some levels a bit better. Like, of course, we cannot compete with Foreman that has uh, thousands of miners that it can manage in terms of different types, uh, but we just manage a couple and the ones we do, we do very well. Yeah, I mean, in this case, you're, you're specializing on your own use case, right? And why not use your proprietary software if you if you have exactly. it anyway? Exactly. Um, okay, so so tell me about the back then. You said you used a couple of DC exports. What was that first project, and how did you approach your first client? I guess how did you make them understand that um, they could also use the heat from your ASIC machines? How did you? Yeah. How did you fit that square into the into the? Um, Circle, circle, circular hole. <laughs> well, in in all honesty, uh, when we started off, we like we were selling mining, but we never even touched the miner. You know, <laughs> so we were selling primarily a concept. Um, and the first one that said, like, we were open about it, though. Eh? Don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, so the first one of the first customers was actually uh, a, a a customer of my father. He also partnered with us uh, on the projects. And he said, you know what? I have no clue what you are doing. I'm probably not even going to understand what we're doing here, even if we're three years in. But it sounds amazing. It sounds great. Let's do it. Let's just put some money down and let's start. So that was the first customer that, that uh, was convinced. And back then, you know, you were mining with like, I think 20 miners, something like 0 0.4 Bitcoin a day, 0 0.3. <laughs> a whole different landscape as uh, it is right now. And uh, from there, it kind of grew. We were also a bit lucky. Huh? We had the, we just expanded before the bull market. So before we uh, 
before the bull market hit, we just expanded to like one megawatt. Uh, and, and that made a lot of money uh, for the size of the operation in the first like couple months. That allowed us to grow to the next site and the next one in quite a rapid uh, time. So uh, we had uh, the luck of, 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 of joining the bull run and we had uh, the luck to enjoy the beer market afterwards, which forced us to uh, focus on efficiency and uh, other uh, creative adaptations of energy strategies that now come back into uh, yeah, place to, to actually make profits. It's funny how just because the price changes in, in Bitcoin, it, it teaches you different disciplines about mining, right? price goes up like as much hashes as you can then price comes crashing down and now you need to manage your efficiency and make sure that you squeeze out every hash uh, at an acceptable um, opex level uh, that you can right so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny, funny how that how that system works um okay and currently where, where are you guys active Yama, with your operations where are you uh, we're active in the netherlands uh in scandinavia and in the united states Okay, um, which is sort of your biggest market? Where is your most? Where are you most focused? Uh, right now, it's still the Netherlands, but it's gonna switch relatively soon to Scandinavia. Like uh, next year, Scandinavia will take over. Okay, interesting. And why is that? Was there just more 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 potential there, or is it easier to integrate with the load balancing markets? The more heat reuse. Um, like the the biggest benefit for Scandinavia over the other countries is first of all scandinavia is very known with the concept of electrified heating so it has a lot of e-boilers in place already because their electricity price is so low and, and this makes the conversation of going to digital heating as we call it uh, heat for miners much more acceptable than if you go to for example the netherlands where the conversation you're going to have quite quickly with the greenhouse operator. It says, ah, we're going to do digital heating. I also have a CHP, so I can sell my electricity on the grid. So I'm having a huge opportunity cost. How are we going to solve that? So their conversation that very quickly goes down to the whole energy strategies to actually optimize their net bottom line. And in Norway or in Finland, it's it's much more robust. You know, you just put the mine down. You have a low energy price. You can mine without heat recovery if you need to. And the heat recovery is the vision of what we what we're doing. It's a nice addition to the business case. It makes the business case better, but it's not an essential anymore. So the risk on these projects is lower, but the output will also probably be lower. Because volatility is bad, but volatility in the right place can also be your best friend. Makes sense. Where to echo that, right? So to in the Nordics, you have heating with electricity anyway. Everybody knows that concept and you don't have to um, compete with, you know, heat being created from, from gas, right? Yeah. Where is that break-even point for you guys currently? Can you can you say like at what price of gas per kilowatt hour of heat does it make sense to to use mining instead? That's a that's a tough question um, because therefore to understand that the the answer to that question you need to understand the economics of how 
heat works. So let, let's take an example. Uh, right now, the gas price is 45 cents, but let's say 40 because that calculates a little bit better per cubic meter in the Netherlands. And a genset, so uh, consumes 275 cubic meters per hour, per megawatt. So if you want to create one megawatt of electricity, you use 275 cubic meters of gas. At 40 cents, that's around 110 euros per megawatt. Out of the 275 cubic meters, you retain 140 cubic meters of heat. And the other 135 is converted to electricity, which you sell typically. So your cost price is your total cost of energy minus your sales price of electricity. And right now, what you see in the Netherlands, but also in Europe in general, is that the electricity price is very heavily correlated to the gas price. However, the renewable market makes this much more problematic because um, that correlation is only true for certain hours during the day, the peak hours. So between like 6 till 9, 10 and from 4, 5 till 8, 9. Um, and that means that during the peak hours, you can make money on your genset because you sell the electricity for more than what it costs you to produce, so your heat is free. But all the other hours, you sell it at a loss, and that loss can be substantial. That loss can be the full 110 euros or even more, because you have also negative pricing. Um, and then you have to get to an average. So what do the very large greenhouses do? They build significant oversupply of genset capacity. So they primarily run in peak hours. And that's a way for them to balance that, that, that margin. But a smaller greenhouse doesn't have that option. It only has one CHP. And if you only have one, you're fully confined to the day ahead market as it is, fully exposed. And, and that can quickly turn into, uh, yeah, into a negative uh, <laughs> pricing scenario. Is there no way of, of taking the gas and converting it at 100% to heat and therefore lower the amount of gas that you need? To um, yourself to the electricity market? Well, that's basically what we do because we take the electricity generated by the CHP and we turn it, we put it in the miners and we recover the heat from the miners at the 97% efficiency. So that one megawatt was just converted in 970 kilowatt of heat. So that's basically an efficiency of, yeah, of around like 95, 94% of the overall system with very little loss, and you still get your 100, 110 euros per megawatt these days. So, yeah, plus, I mean, in this case, if I if I get it correctly, Emma, first of all, big commitments to you for doing math live on a podcast. That's has to be noted. Not many people do, <laughs> do live math like that or even dare to. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, to, just to, to recap, right? Essentially, that means you are giving greenhouses an alternative offtake for when they will usually take losses on the electricity markets because they have to run their generator to keep the temperature where it's supposed to be right um, and then that's where you that's where you guys basically integrate with the electricity market and can even say hey currently even though it's off peak it makes more sense to sell to the grid 
Um, so instead of running the miners at overcapacity or whatever, or overclocking them, you can underclock your miners, for instance, and enable the greenhouse to actually sell electricity to the grid when it makes sense. Is that yeah, a exactly. correct summarization? Or is that a correct yeah. summary? Sorry. No, that's um, correct. So one follow-up question I would have there is, how easy is that in the Netherlands, respectively, and also in, in the Nordics, to just say at a moment's notice, hey, now I want to feed in electricity to the grid? Because being being German and having studied energy, economic, uh, energy economics in Germany, I know that that's not that easy. You cannot just, um, especially at small sizes, um, feed into the grid whenever you want to like you you kind of have to give a, a prognosis of how much you will feed into the grid next day so that the grid operator can stabilize the grid also is that at all a concern you guys have no because uh, what they do in the netherlands is that they um, you have to contract the capacity for either importing or exporting and the grip operator by law is obliged to guarantee you that capacity so even though you're not using it, you always have the ability to use it. Uh, this is also one of the problems why we have a lot of congestion in the Netherlands, because <laughs> uh, there's no flexibility in the in, in, in the usage there. But that means that we can do whatever we want. And that translates to quite an interesting opportunity, because the miners can respond very fastly on, 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 on signals. Like we integrate with the grid operators, and based on prices or load balancing, we can scale down the mine in a matter of seconds. And we can scale it back up in like 40, 45 seconds. And if you look at the ancillary service markets, uh, they're developing quite rapidly. And they're moving towards faster and faster responses. And uh, this is actually where mining together with the CHP or, or without comes into play uh, very nicely. Because the... Uh, in Europe, in general, first of all, you have a the Picasso framework. It's the unification of different load balancing markets. So, for example, Germany can leverage the Dutch markets. The Netherlands can, can leverage the Norwegian. Um, so we're going to have more unification of these markets. It also means we're more exposed towards each other. Uh, so that can be actually price beneficial for, for us, not for the consumer paying. Um, <laughs> and... On top of that, um, what happens is that the miner can respond very quick. What other assets can respond very fast? You have a battery, you have LED lights, and that's that's basically it. Yeah, yeah, not, sorry to interrupt. It's not just it's not just the speed. It's also the density of power consumption, right? How much power can you consume Correct. very quickly? Correct. And if you look at the ancillary services, the, the AFR, that's how we refer to it, the Automatic Frequency Restoration Reserves, they, um, they will grow a lot and they pay out between 30 to 80 megawatt uh, euro per megawatt hour to be standby, just to be standby. Just and then capacity. the Yes, and then the variable compensation, depending on your strike price, is between two to 500 euro per megawatt that you deliver. Um, what we do is that we, if we mine on the CHP, we shut down the mines and we export electricity to the grid. If we mine from the grid, we shut down the mine and we give back our contract because then we bid in on the day ahead. Uh, so that's also classified as upwards capacity. 
And uh, we even are working on a couple projects right now that we combine certain assets to accelerate time of production of the CHP so that we can mine from the grid and be classified as upwards balancing capacity. Then we, once they say, hey, you have to be activated, we shut down the mine. At the same time, we activate one of our assets and the CHP to ensure we can produce within five minutes. And that uh, means that we have two megawatt of load balancing capacity for every one megawatt of mining load. You have to explain that one more time. I did not understand that. Okay, no problem. Um, let's try to, to, to make it more simple. <laughs> um, we leverage different types of uh, assets to ensure that if we mine from the grid, so for 24 hours, we can always activate the additional assets we have on site fast enough to also be classified for the AFRR balancing markets. So for every one megawatt of mining load we build out, we ensure we have two megawatt of AFRR capacity. So we basically hedge ourselves on the balancing markets. And the moment that you get 80 euros per megawatt hour standby compensation, um, and we have two megawatt for every one megawatt mining, there's no way that we can get into a positive cost price. It will always be negative. So by being smart and creative uh, and leveraging the right market at the right time, we can actually optimize our cost structure significantly. That's super interesting. It's funny because, yeah, again, it seems that it seems there's so much more, um, so much more liberty and so much more opportunity for smaller scales also to operate within these markets, right? Because again, from a German standpoint, you get the secondary, primary, tertiary load response. And then it's, it's you know, you have to deliver at least one megawatt for the primary um, and so on and so forth. And, you know, you just have rules that make it not as, mu not as much fun as what you are describing here, right? So that's really interesting that the, again, I said this the last time, um, talking about ERCOT and Texas, you know, electrons work the same all over the world. It's just the, the, the regulation that makes certain things work or not, right? And um, if you find the right conditions, this absolutely makes sense anywhere, you know? Um, okay, and in, in, in the Nordics, how does it go there? I mean, how does load balancing work there? Is it different at all? Does it also work with capacity factors? Yeah, the primary difference there is that we are not our own aggregator. Uh, we have not yet integrated there, so we leverage uh, third parties uh, to actually get the signals that we need to, to do everything on our own backend. And the actual quite funny about the Nordics is that it's a less, it's a, I wouldn't say less developed market, but it's more of a monopolized market. Even though you have very, very, like a lot of different aggregators there, the margins they ask are insane. Like they charge you 30 to 50% on the actual uh, revenue. And in the Netherlands, yeah, you know, an aggregator is already happy if you can get five. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. you know, very different uh, play field. And, and that's to us quite strange. The first time we had this conversation, we were a bit shocked by the percentages they were charging us. We thought we were getting robbed, but <laughs> apparently that was market conditions. Uh, I think, like, business-wise, I don't think many people get robbed in the Nordics, eh? It's all pretty much out there yeah. and everybody's happy and rich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, okay, so 
aggregator can that be translated with virtual power plant as well is that the same thing uh, i think you you you're then very you're complimenting us too much <laughs> uh, the virtual power plant is like one layer above uh, okay. the virtual power plant is the actual algorithm that 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 leverages all the different assets and then based on the uh, in the frequencies in the in, in the grid is gonna control which asset needs to turn off or on to balance it the layer below just receives the signal from the power plant, the virtual power plant. It says, hey, I want X megawatt to turn on, turn them on. And that's then being spread decentralized again to another layer of signals to activate these assets. Okay. Yeah. All right. Makes, makes sense. Um, when you use... Okay. So one question on the technical side. Why do you guys go with immersion and not hydro? Uh, well, hydro is relatively new. Uh, that's been properly developed, I would say, last year uh, when Watts Miner came actually into the market. I don't really believe in the end in the end miner hydro. This um, is not sponsored by Bitmain, so don't worry. Just speak. Nah, okay, good, good. Because <laughs> the end miner uh, hydro version, first of all, it doesn't really it it it's, it doesn't work for hydrocarbon. Because you can get the maximum uh, temperature in Celsius, I think, of 45C, the outlet, and then you're already stretching it. It's more like 40, and then it needs to go over the heat exchanger, so you lose another 3, 4. And go to any heat consumer and tell him you're going to give him 35 to 38 Celsius. You know, they will laugh at you. <laughs> uh, so that, that, that will never work. And immersion can actually provide you 57 to 62. With the newer models, maybe even 64, 65, uh, that's still being experimented. And Hydro right now gives you in between like max 65, 66. Okay. The new, what, what is your technical standard then? I guess you still use DCX pods and modify them yourself? No, 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 no. no, no, no. Okay. We, we build everything ourselves. We build our own tanks. We build our own containers. Uh, we buy the heat exchanges from Alpha Laval. We integrate them. Okay. So interesting. And the, the miners, what, what do you typically go for? Um, we used to go a lot for end miner back in the days because those could be heavily overclocked. So we actually were overclocking them to the extent of like six, seven kilowatt. Um, and, and in the bull run, that was actually a very smart move because then you were saving significantly on capex. As you also said in the beginning, when the bear market came, the focus went more to the OPEX and, and we scaled down in overclock size. And then what's minor came much more uh, apparent. It's more robust, more resilient, can can also uh, operate under higher temperatures. So it's more heat recovery friendly, I, w- I would say. I've heard that from multiple sources. I as I don't know if you know if you know that, but um, I focus a lot on, on Africa and mining in Africa and bringing bringing hash right there. Um, and everybody that that is known sort of in the space and that I that I work with is is going the the, the micro BT route because the durability apparently is just so much higher. And then the question is always, how much more efficient is a is an ant miner that that has issues compared to what's miner that, that doesn't have as many issues, right? True. And and they have proper support, like, and I think that that, that that's must be said as well. Like, we were commissioning one of our smaller projects, a farmer that wanted to experiment before going all in. I think it was like 5 p.m. Netherlands time. That is what, 11 China? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a problem. We set up a WhatsApp chat with one of the representatives of the company. They connected us to a tech guy. 
and at 12, you know, it was soft. Go ask Bitmain yeah. at 11. Uh, <laughs> maybe they may, maybe they get back to you in a week, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I don't want to do I don't want to do too much Bitmain bashing here. I'm sure they also yeah. have their strengths. Um, but yeah, they I mean, their strength, you you, you, sure. echo, you 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 echo a lot of um, a lot of um, nuances and thoughts that that I've heard from other people. Yeah as well you know um, and i still love the endwinders you know i've worked a lot with them uh we started with them and as i said the overclock capacity on the end miner and and what you can actually do with them in terms of control right now is much better than what's minor like significantly better hmm. because the uh the actual community of developers on end miner is much bigger right uh, right now on third-party firmware than for what's mine so you have a couple coming up right now but still, they are a bit in the early phase, I would say. So from a control perspective, as for now, the uh, end mine is still better, superior. superior. Mm. It's it's just uh, not the right fit for heat recovery right now. Would you guys consider hosting? Is that something you would consider to offer hosting to, to people? Um, we do offer hosting to people, uh, but we want to focus more on development of our own hash rate. So uh, it's something that 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 we have yeah, that we do we can offer, but we rather actually find a site, close the site, uh, either develop it ourselves or find a partnership with with a larger company to come in to fill that site and we do the operations. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right, and. So maybe just to, to recap that um, and then to go into the energy side a bit more. Um, when you approach a greenhouse, what, what is your pitch? Or what, what do you tell them? Like how do you open the conversation um, and what do you tell them and how do you sell them Bitcoin mining? Because yeah. um, just to, to preface this question by saying, I'm pretty sure you'll still get a lot of people who's like, ah, no, no Bitcoin mining, no Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's bad for yeah. the environment and all that stuff. Like, How do you overcome that? Um, well, you still have a lot of them, of course, being opinionated on Bitcoin. Um, so there's like the older generation that's still very tough to reach, you know. Um, the, the, the younger one is very open to it. And I would say the medium age that that's, that's, it can consider the option. But our primary sales pitch is that it's uh, a tool, a tool in their toolbox. Right now, as you've seen in the Netherlands uh, and in Europe in general, the last two years were very volatile. And uh, you either made a lot of money as a greenhouse or you lost all your money that you've worked for the last 20 years. Because <laughs> the, the, the shock that went to the energy markets was insane. and was felt very, very painfully in this domain so what we tell them is why focus only on your chp you know first of all the government is bashing down on gas on fossil fuels so it's going to be taxed more and more and more this is problem number one your chp has a uh, has a uh, expiration date and it's coming on the other hand, they are building out significantly amount of renewables. Huh? They projected that in one or two years, we're going to have 900 negative hours in the Netherlands. It's also insane. It's like what, 16% or something. And we tell them, put down the miners, 
we're going to operate them on different markets that they had, the CHP, the AFRR, and see them properly as a tool in your toolbox. Every day, we're going to sit down, of course, algorithmically, but we're going to look at which asset produces you the most money, and we're going to bid in that asset regardless. And this allows you to always have the option to address any other market than the day ahead, allowing you to diversify your income and therefore also be more resilient towards any volatility in this market or benefit from volatility in this market. And the last two years actually play in our advantage. Of course, it was tough to sell with a gas price of 360, you know, <laughs> electricity at 950 euros or 1200 euros, you know. There's no way in hell you're going to make mining profitable with, with 1,200 euros per megawatt. Now, let's be honest. However, the, cor the correlation between the AFRR and the imbalance market is almost one-on-one. -on -one. So the moment that the imbalance market goes up, AFRR goes up. The moment imbalance goes down, AFR goes down. Explain that to people again. You know, what is the imbalance market and what is the so, AFR? I'm sure you've, um, you've explained it before, but explain it again. Yeah. The imbalance market is, I think, the easiest reference is the spot market. Okay. So it's the price right now. Mm -hmm. And the AFRR is the fast ancillary demand response market. Okay. And uh, how it works is that the AFRR gives you two forms of compensation. It's the standby price per megawatt that you bid in for 24 hours. And for every hour they call you off, they're going to give you a 15-minute guaranteed settlement price. And that settlement price, if you take the data, will almost always be one-to-one -one with the imbalance, a.k.a. the spot price. Interesting. So whenever they only call you off when they need you, so when there's a shortage of energy or when there's a uh, surplus. We try primarily try to work on the upwards balancing, so providing power, because there's much more money there. Um, And what we see is that the moment that the AFR goes down in revenues, the general cost of electricity goes down. And therefore, you hedge yourself also on this market. Because if your revenues goes down on the balancing, it means your cost price for mining becomes cheaper. So using the mining as an actual mining operation becomes more viable. To... To, uh, okay, thank you, first and foremost, again, for that su summary. Um, I would have guessed, Elmer, that you would have been more active in the downwards or the negative market, meaning taking energy out of the grid, because, um, no, hold on, which way am I thinking now? I was thinking that it would be more easy for you guys to turn on the miners when they're not running to make money than the other way around. Um, because generally electricity prices in Europe are quite high, right? But now you're saying you make the electricity from the CHP, so you don't typically take it from the grid. If To give people an idea, how much do you mine from the grid over, over a given year and how much comes from the CHP? And also tell people, um, if you can, what the uptime is. So if you look at the nameplate hash rate of a miner, How how many hours during a year can you run the miner at that um, yeah. at that level? Um, first of all, the um, 
the, the, the primary difference between consuming from the CHP and consuming from the grid is the size of the operation. Because in the Netherlands, it works in a certain way that they tax you for every kilowatt that you consume. And the first 10 million kilowatt is taxed very heavily. And from there, you very quickly go down into like a euro per megawatt, for example. So the more you consume, the cheaper it becomes. And that effect really comes into place at like 30, 40 million kilowatt. Does that, does that include all the consumption you've had or only from that point? Uh, well, we uh, do the mining uh, behind the submeter, like it's its own EAN code, uh, which means it's its own metering point. Um, so every kilowatt that goes through the mine is only going to the mine. So we cannot really benefit from, uh, for example, lightning okay. from the greenhouse. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. No problem. Um, and if you you see that if you go beyond a certain scale, like four megawatt, five megawatt per location, there's a very solid case to do grid mining. If you are below that size, like two, three, one, grid mining is exponentially more expensive. Um, it's still doable, but it, it's, it, it's just much more expensive. What prices like, are we talking about here? Like per kilowatt hour? Like this depends so much during the day. Like for example, today your average would have been, I think 130 euro for the megawatt. And then if you are small, 35 for the taxes. Okay, 30, 30 and 35 for the megawatt hour. So that would be yeah. 6.5 cents. Uh, no, 16.5. 16.5. Yes, so today would have been a bad day. The good thing is that today was, uh, let's see, it's 27th. No, it's not that great. It's You only get 32 euros for your upwards balancing. So that means your average would have been 130. So okay. if you're a small operation, you're not going to run with the uh, on the grid because the CHP was giving you 110. Um, but on the other hand, then you're going to look at the day and see, hey, where can I sell my electricity or where they'll make more money? So maybe you would have also sold some of your uh, power. Okay, right. But what we do with our larger operations is that we actually get PPAs, so renewable PPAs. That mm -hmm. Those are good for around like 4,000 hours a year. Uh, which brings down the cost of energy from the grid to a predicted value. What do they run at uh, currently? Between 55 to 70. Translated into cents for people. 5.5 uh, to 7. Euro um, cents. That's really yeah. good. That's, that's attractive. Like the larger miners would say it's still high. But on the other hand, uh, you get your 32 euros from the upwards balancing. Plus you're selling the heat. And you're selling the heat. And you get your variable compensation. So that already brings you down to like sub one, sub two. Um, and you're operating in the Netherlands. So there are a lot of different factors that come into play, which make it very difficult to say what the price is on, 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 on mm. a day. Because it, it can be, if, if you're off with your predictions and your models, it can be a costly day, <laughs> in all honesty. If you're, if you're doing things right, it can be a very, very good day. So, okay, but just to go back to the question uh, and maybe we'll make it a bit easier because otherwise, you know, I might as well throw a dice and tell you what number is and then you give me the corresponding <laughs> answer. It doesn't really make sense. But like, if you look at the at any given year, how much are you running off of, off of the grid and uh, how much yeah. are you running off of the CHP, would you say? Um, for the uh, locations that are smaller than 2 megawatt, we run almost 100% on the CHP. And I would say with an uptime, depending on the locations of like 70 to 85%, mm -hmm. um, the ones that we operate from the grid, 
they should run for 100% uh, from the grid. The CHP is used as a backup primarily to do either balancing or when shit hits the fan and prices really escalate to leverage the CHP as an alternative source of energy. Uh, but the and the downtime for the balancing there is depending on your strike price because you can manipulate your downtime. Um, yeah, like 10 to 15%. Okay. All right. Um, the wind and solar build-out in, in the Netherlands and also in the Nordics, what effect will that have on, on your business, do you think? The more capacity oh, that comes online? Yeah, a lot, very positively. <laughs> um, they're going to deploy 1,500 megawatts of wind in Q1 in the, in the Netherlands. And you already see right now that when it's windy, the prices go to zero or minus something. When they're going to deploy an additional 1,500 megawatts, you know, prices will for sure go down. Um, and this actually makes our business case much more compelling because the more negative or low hours, the more the people with fossil fuel-based heating are forced into moving away from those sources and looking at alternative means. So that makes our business case much more compelling and makes it easier to sell. What are the downsides of your business case? There's risk involved. You know, in the, the biggest, the biggest downside to, is like, like we, what we've been combating a lot the last years is that it's very difficult to convince a uh, a greenhouse or a district network heating to do self mining because it's not their core business. You know, they grow tomatoes, they grow cucumbers, they heat a city, and the actual economics of these projects they're quite insane if you do them at scale. And those are often much larger than their actual operations, you know, their bread and butter. So for them, it, it's it's very unconventional to, to go in this direction because what they're, they're operating a greenhouse, they work 18 hours a day to grow tomatoes and suddenly they're going to build a data center next to their greenhouse that's going to make them more money. You know, it, 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 it sounds a bit good to, too good to be true. Um And, and that makes it very difficult to, to actually to sell it. So at some point in time, they said, you know what? We love the idea. We understand how you do it, why you do it, and we understand that it will make you money. We just don't want it on our balance sheet. So is there any way possible that you can take that risk uh, and do it, and I'll just buy the heat? Or I contribute energy assets in exchange for heat, or there are different models available. Um, so at some time we said, yeah, why not? <laughs> um, we want to grow this business. We want to do this in the Netherlands with greenhouse. So let's do it. So that changed the, we pivoted basically to becoming more a distributor to more of an, an operator there. Um, and, and show to the world, like, uh, we, we put our money where our mouth is. We're starting these projects ourselves, and we're going to, to go all the way with it and show you that it works. And what we hope is that once a couple of these projects more coming online, you have a proper portfolio to showcase the economics. At some point in time, people will say, hey, you know what? I want to do this myself. I see the value in doing this myself and I love this concept. But as long as they don't do it, we're just going to do it. What? How many megawatts do you have live right now in Greenhouse? Yeah, for community. heat recovery, it's around 15 megawatts. And with mining, it's around 40. 
Okay, and do you do you have any numbers on capex? And maybe um, you don't have to go into into detail there too much, but just give us a, a rough figure of how much you need per per megawatt to uh, to deploy. And maybe tell me yeah. what you're looking at going sort of into the future, where you can maybe reduce that. Where where can you still become more efficient? Yeah, um, the yeah the capex is still primarily depending, of course, on the miner you choose. Huh? If you're going to use an M50 or an M60 series, that's uh, <laughs> A huge difference in capex, um, but what I think I, I can say is that the immersion cooling technology itself, if you want to use it for heat recovery, the average additional cost or capex, I would say is around 100 to 200k, with the integration, the extra heat exchangers, the the the, the software that you need, and all that stuff. Mm. Uh, there is a cost. And that's for two megawatt, by the way. Now, uh, we, we primarily build out in like 1.8 megawatt units. So <laughs> um, so it, it, it is more expensive, of course. Eh? You're, you're building mission critical infrastructure. People are relying on you to provide heat throughout the whole year. There's, it's not really acceptable by these parties yet to bring in technology from, for example, China or or other low-grade uh, technologies that, that they don't know. So they want to have uh, a, a brand they, they know. They, they can touch it. They can go there. They can see it. Um, they can talk with other greenhouse operators. They can hear the words. And that actually uh, is quite important still. What is the future? Well, we're still developing our immersion systems. We're still at, at, uh, advancing them. But what you see in the market is that the, the, the minor producers are putting a lot of money down on hydro. So we can keep on shouting that immersion is the way and we will always do immersion because it's, it's, it's our bread and butter. Uh, but if the market is investing differently, is putting financial incentives on moving away from certain infrastructure by reducing the price or other kind of strategies, at some point, that will be very difficult to compete with. So as for now, I don't see the need for a direct change, but it could be in the future that we're forced to change from infrastructure. Yeah, no, but, but look, I, I think there's also a scenario where... So my personal belief is that that mining um, globally and, and more broadly will become application-specific, right? Currently, you got all these... The model is always like build an ASIC, pump out as many ashes as you can at the lowest power consumption possible, right? And then people use these machines for all types of different things. But I think we're, we're seeing the first steps in the, in the stealth miner and all of these other abbreviations and custom modifications where people are actually using hashboards um, for different use cases. And then the suppliers are seeing that and saying, hey, why don't we build a miner that's maybe used for immersion cooling or one that's used for hydro only like we see with the m53s the m63 models from from micro bt now where you have this the rack format right i think that only that there was only demand for that and the only reason they did that is because yeah people they, they saw that people are using it for different use cases like heating greenhouses you know what i mean so so they're also seeing that um and with the halvings coming not just this one but obviously also all the other ones after that the, the immersion of AI coming into the market and sort of pushing mining ever more to the fringes to where you guys are already at, 
right? I don't think that model of hosting a machine at 7.5 euro cents and running it for 100% of the year is going to be profitable for much longer, right? Um, and so people have to look at, at heat reuse or taking, taking part in ancillary services or, you know, um, any other business models that, that we haven't yet thought of. Um, to stay competitive, yeah. Or they go into I don't know. I just saw that um, huge shout out to to Seb Guspiu from um, Big Block uh, Data Centers. Um, they're mining in Congo in the DRC in the middle of the jungle, you know, because there's no <laughs> literally no other demand for power there, and they can set the price, yeah. right? So um, I think I would not like to do the maintenance there, though. <laughs> yeah, look, I, they they like to do it. I can tell you yeah. that much. The pictures look great. Anyway, so I'm just trying to say. Uh, when mining gets ever pushed ever more to the fringes, uh, you know this is what you see. Uh, you see these these specialized yeah. models. Um, all right. But the thing here, there's one 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 very interesting concept though when, when you talk about heat recovery. Mm-hmm. Like you can clearly see a push. Uh, the larger companies are talking already about it. See Marathon, Hive, like a couple of public miners. They they are they're already starting to stand behind the concept because they see the economics. They see the sustainability branding aspects of it that are very that will become very important um but the thing is that once the heat consumer actually moves towards self-mining even the large companies like Meriton could potentially become of getting to troubled waters because if you for example are vodafone and you are heating your district network through e-boilers, 150 megawatt in Sweden, for example. Right now, they pay spot price whenever they need to. That's their cost price of heat. That's it. When you put a mine there, they can actually mine at a loss because it's cheaper than an e-boiler. So their cost price of mining could be completely different than current market conditions and become so outlier that it puts the whole market under pressure. But of course, before that happens, it needs to be a very significant scale of this happening. Yeah. And that will not happen overnight. But it, 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 if it happens, it will have tremendous impact. Plus, I think it's likely that, you know, in the future, you could see something like Vattenfall partner with a marathon or a hive to say, like, you guys deliver the infrastructure and you operate and we do the integration with the electricity markets and we do a joint venture on this. Um, because we're we're buying at 150 megawatts, you know, we're talking more than 100 million, 200 million dollars uh, for ASIC gear at that point. Um, and yeah. I don't see Vattenfall deploying that anytime no, soon, even if no, they understood no, no. it very well, right? True. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I also think it, it will become more granular. Mining will become more granular and you will see more smaller sites. Um, that would make uh, Bob Burnett very happy to see more wild horses in the field as he would put it um that's a brilliant article by the way if you haven't read it yet um but yeah uh dude there's there's so much happening um and and what you guys are doing uh, is is so so interesting i have one last question around the the demand for district heating um one thing i've never really grasped right so if you look at norway and sweden and finland um, or not Finland because it's only one one tariff zone, but Sweden and Norway are set uh, split up into four zones each, right? And North Pole. And so, if you talk about district heating, you would talk about district heating where there is population, right? So now where there is population yeah. and manufacturing, 
the, the electricity prices are quite high, right? Yeah. So how does that fit together? How do you supply district heating in the north of Norway where there's literally nobody living there um, yeah. compared to the yeah. south of the country? That's of course more challenging. If there's no district to heat, then uh, the you you have to go to the heat source itself. So that's more on a uh, entity by entity basis. Uh, but sometimes the incentive is compelling enough to small to start a small grid. So you just supply a couple neighbors. Um, we also do that sometimes in the Netherlands. We look at synergies because if you're gonna remove the heat, like let's why don't you just sell it for a low price to the neighbor. Mm. Um, but in general, you're right. Like if there's no district network, you cannot, or a large city, you cannot heat it. And in the populated areas, the cost price of energy is higher, but they will still face the same issues. They will have to consume from the e-boiler at these high prices. So the value of what you sell to them is also higher. Yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. Um, to close out, Yama, uh, first and foremost, thank you very much for, for all the time you've given me. Uh, I know this talk thank you also for a little bit, of, little bit of preparation because there's actually way more to your to your industry and, and to your to your business than what we've discussed today. But maybe we can come back to that another time. Um, last but not least, Yama, tell people where they can find you um, on the interwebs and then let me ask you one more question. Yeah, you can go to our uh, website, greentech.technology, or you can look for me on LinkedIn, uh, Yelmer Ten Wolde, and just connect with me and uh, send me a message. Or on Telegram, uh, I have to open this one up, though, to check my exact... We can handle. put it in the show notes, too. If you... <laughs> <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes, and uh, you can hit me up there as well. Lovely. Last question, Yama. Does Bitcoin consume enough energy? Not yet. Not yet. Sure There's still speak. much room to grow, to innovate, and to optimize uh, and make Bitcoin much more sustainable. Beautifully said. Thank you very much. Guys, if you've learned something new, which again, I don't have any doubt you have, um, give us a bit of a review. Ask him all the questions you have. Ask me all the questions and all the all the comments you have. Um, give them to me straight out. I'm not not here to collect good feedback only. Always happy to hear blue, brutally honest feedback if you thought I, I talked nonsense. Um, look, if you can support the show with uh, some hashes, the, the way to do that is in the show notes as well. You'll find all the links there. Um, yeah, and with that, I hope you learned something new again. Uh, Bitcoin does not consume enough energy. And until next time, have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye.